Happy Easter, everybody. Thank you for joining me for Redeemer Life. Hey, before I talk to the adults, I want to talk to the kids. Hey, kiddos, listen up. I want you to draw a picture of something I'm going to say in this message. And there are two opportunities that I think would be best. The first is when I talk about soldiers. And the second time is when I talk about a city. Okay, so listen very closely to the message. And when I talk about soldiers or I talk about a city or I talk about both of them, draw that picture and then give it to one of your parents and ask them to post it on social media with the hashtag RedeemerAZLive. And parents, adults, if you'd take an Easter picture and post it there, it would just be really great to see you. Just as these weeks drone on of not having church, there's just more, this growing and growing sense of, gosh, I wish I could see the people that I was used to seeing. So would you please do that? Take an Easter picture and post it on social media with the hashtag RedeemerAZLive. And then finally, I'm going to say this until this crisis is over. If you need help, please email us, info at RedeemerAZ.org. Every week, more people are, hit, are, are being hit by these hard times, and some are even losing their jobs. So every week, I want everyone listening to know that we are here to help you. No judgment, no embarrassment. Everybody hits hard times. If that's you, please don't give. Please take care of your family and help us. Let us help you. Info at RedeemerAZ.org. If you are giving regularly, it's your generosity is why we can help. Thank you. And if you don't give at all or if you're not consistent, now's the time. You can help your brothers and sisters. Give on our website, RedeemerAZ.org. Together we will all get through this. We will help each other. This is what being the church is all about. Aside from our daily word videos, our weekly Redeeming Truth podcasts. Join us this Tuesday at 2 p.m. for our live pastor's prayer time and join us on Wednesday at 7 p.m. for our live teaching series called Truth for Troubled Times, which, which will explain truths that we all need during this crisis. Now, before we jump into the Bible, let's pray for God to work during this time together. Father, Right now in homes, kids who were docile and were compliant could be freaking out and going crazy. So I pray that you would calm hearts, calm minds, so that we can all focus on your word. And I pray for that time of focus on your word. I pray that it would be more than just watching an Easter service on our computers, on our TVs. I pray that this would be a time where you specifically minister to each and every one of us. The truths that we're going to talk about are truths that we absolutely need during this time and during every time. And these are truths that we often forget when times are hard. So please be gracious to us. Please be our teacher and our guide into truth. Please open our eyes to behold the wonderful things that are found in your word. Do this for the good of everybody watching and do this for the glory of your name. Amen. Horatio Spafford hit a time in his life that was anything but easy. His, the pain he went through in a two-year span would have put many people in a mental hospital. 
First, his only son died tragically. Shortly after that, a fire ruined him financially. Then some months later, as he planned to, to travel to Europe with his family, he, he had to send them on ahead because he got delayed on business. I'm sure many of you know what that's like. However, while crossing the Atlantic, the ship his family was on hit another ship and it sank. He gets a letter saying that his wife survived, but all four of his daughters drowned. I can't imagine the pain that he felt reading that letter. Some of you don't have to imagine it. Some of you have faced something like that, or God forbid, you face something even worse. Today in our world, insecurity, failed predictions about the future may be at all-time highs for many people. It's not World War-level fear that, that we're facing now, but the fear people are dealing with is still very real. Will I, or someone I love, get the virus? Will I get it, and will I be okay? How long will it be before I can get toilet paper as easily as I can get a candy bar? When everything, when is everything going to go back to normal? Is everything going to go back to normal? What's the future going to be like? These are nagging questions that all of us have. And all of this can cause stress, doubt, and especially anxiety. Anxiety is a state of excessive uneasiness, worry, nervousness, and even panic. And it may be excessively high right now. And what we want, what we long for in times like this is peace, real peace, lasting, firm, unchanging, unaffected by circumstances kind of peace. The question is, is that even possible? The kind of peace that lasts and even grows, even as the troubled times that we're facing drone on, is that kind of peace possible? The idea that we're going to talk about today and on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Arizona time is peace. The kind of peace that lasts and even grows when times get hard. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you use the blue Bibles that we give out here at Redeemer, the, the page number is 1084, 1084. Listen, Paul didn't write the book of Philippians from a penthouse suite or a villa on the south of France. He most likely wrote this letter chained to a Roman soldier in prison with the prospect of being executed for being a Christian leader. And the church, the first church in the city of Philippi, wasn't lounging at a day spa sipping Perrier with lime slices in their drinks. Chapter 1 verse 29 says they were suffering for being Christians just like he was. So with words full of affection and grace, Paul addresses his friends whose lives have become very painful. And he says in chapter 1, verse 27, drop down, listen to what he says to Christians who are facing troubled times. He says, quote, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now that isn't stiff upper lip, suck it up, stop being a baby. And it's not, things are only going to get better. There's a brighter day coming. It's always darkest before the dawn. He's not saying, hey, cheer up. You must be able to get through this because after all, God will only give you what you can handle, which is absolutely not true at all. So if that's not what he was saying, what was he saying in verse 27 to suffering Christians? What he was saying was this, no matter what's happening around you, No matter what's happening to you, don't forget that you're a Christian. 
Make sure it's the truth of God's word that is controlling your conduct, not your circumstances, not your emotions, and certainly not your sinful desires. Remember, you are a Christian. Paul's counsel to a suffering church was remember the gospel. Remind yourself constantly of the good news that Jesus' death as a substitute for sinners and his resurrection victory over death. Remind yourself of all you know to be true. Remind yourself of everything you know to be real. And then think and feel and live and do everything in accordance with that. That is how you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Well, what does that look like when it comes to anxiety? How does the truth of Jesus' death, which we remembered on Friday, how does the truth of his resurrection, which we remember today, how does all of that, how can that impact the experience of worry and anxiety in these troubled times? Now turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. How do you have peace in the midst of pain? How do you have calm and stability in your soul when everything is out of control around you? The answer to that question is right here. The truth in this text can give you unimaginable peace now in this crisis. And it can give you unimaginable peace anytime you need it. It can give you a peace that passes all understanding, that's humanly unexplainable. Because it tells the world Jesus is alive because he is at work in your life in the peace that you'll have. Now look at the text. Verses 6 and 7 are one sentence and verses 8 and 9 are one sentence. For both, the structure is the same. Verses 6, 8, and most of 9 is what to do. While verses 7 and the end of 9 gives the results if you do what the verses tell you to do. Look at verse seven. Do verse six and quote, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Look at the end of verse nine. Do verse eight, do most of verse nine and quote, the peace of God, the God who is peace, the God who gives peace, the God of peace will be with you. Peace in the Bible is a general sense of physical and spiritual calm, serenity, well-being. It's the experience your soul had the moment you, your sins were first forgiven. It's the experience you have of a deep and lasting rest inside your soul. It doesn't shift like shadows when your personal circumstances or, or news reports change. It's the freedom of inner turmoil. It's the inner assurance that all is really well. It's a settled, fixed, Calm, deep in your soul. Who doesn't want that? Well, you can have that if you put this text into practice. This promise is held out to all those facing pain, worry, anxiety, and fear. And it's the kind of peace, the calm in the depths of your soul, in the face of troubled times, that you can have no matter what you face. Anyone want that right now? Anyone want to help somebody have that right now? I hope you do. Well, let's find out how to have it. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. God's word says, do not be anxious about anything. The word anxious is the opposite of peace. 
It speaks of a person that's being pulled apart in conflicting directions. Although that, the being pulled apart is on the inside. They're ripped to shreds by their thoughts and their emotions. It's the experience of inner harassment, inner chaos, mental turmoil and havoc. Picture fruit in a blender. That's the mind of the anxious chopped into pieces. It's the kind of restless leg syndrome for the heart. It's the tossing and turning of the mind. And notice, do not be anxious about anything is a command. Keep yourself in a continual state of not being worried or anxious. To worry is to disobey. And it's not just what Paul said. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6. Three times Jesus gives this same command. Do not worry. We will talk more about Jesus' words on anxiety from Matthew chapter 6 this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. So join us at that time. Now, if God doesn't want you worrying in troubled times, if he knows how prone we are to anxiety, then he's got to give us some help, right? He's a good God. He would do that. Well, look at that. Look at the text. He gives us the help that we need when we're anxious. Listen to the rest of verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That word everything in verse 6 is a very technical Greek word that means everything. Everything. It excludes all exceptions. Every single thing. Pray. You might be thinking, that, that's all? That's help from the God of the universe for my soul when anxiety attacks it, just pray? That's so shallow. There's gotta be more for me to do, right? No, there isn't. If you and I are gonna have unimaginable peace, a peace that can't be explained no matter what's going on around us, then we need to point number one, pray about all anxieties. Pray about all anxieties. What is the answer to anxiety? How, how can you remain stable when the anxiety-causing earthquakes hit your life? It's not Prozac. It's prayer. Pray about everything you are afraid of, every stressor, every single solitary thing that causes you anxiety. Pray. Notice, when any anxiety hits, the text says where to pray. That word prayer is the general term for prayer. It's, it's praise, worship. It's telling God how great he is and how good he is. And then the rest of the text shows us different kinds of prayer. Supplication, thanksgiving, requests. So we're to supplicate. That's more than just asking. That's serious. That's passionate. Carbon, uh, carpet fibers in the forehead. Teary, snotty, begging kind of requests because of anxiety. This is true, true emotions being, being expressed to the God of the universe who can handle it. And notice it's also where to pray with thanksgiving, with gratitude. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, including the ones that make us anxious. All our prayers and all our anxieties need to be peppered with gratitude for God's goodness. A thankful heart recognizes that God is always acting for my good, no matter what I'm facing, even in my most anxious, doubtful, fearful times. 
Prayer and anxiety is passing information to God. It is expressing your desires, your needs to God with worship, passion, and gratitude. But the lie is, our circumstances tell us what God really thinks about us. Things are bad, so God must be mad. That's just kind of what we think. And that lie, if we believe it, if we let it infect our hearts, that lie cuts us off from the source of unimaginable peace. I mean, who wants to pray when they think God is mad at them? Who wants to pray when the God they're supposed to pray to seems to be against them? Listen, he's not. He's not. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 6. Quote, humble yourself. And then he says, what does it look like to humble yourself? Casting all your anxieties on him, on the Lord. Now, why would we do that? Peter answers, because he cares for you. Listen, anxious Christian, he cares for you. He cares for you. For you, he really does. To churches suffering from anti-Christian persecution, Peter affirms the same thing Paul did. Regardless of circumstances, God cares for you, so pray to him. Circumstances give no insight whatsoever into God's heart for his people. No matter what's going on around you, he cares for you. He cares for you. And if he cares for you, if he really does, listen, pray to him about everything. Pray to him about everything that makes you anxious. And don't miss this. Paul says pray about everything. And Peter says cast all your anxieties on him. Everything you could possibly worry about. Give it to him. Because you have the assurance of what? That he cares for you. I'm amazed at how many anxious Christians don't pray. Or they pray for a few minutes or on and off for a few days, but they, they still feel anxious and conclude, well, prayer doesn't work, so I've got to get on to something more serious than what God says in this text. Or they're going to cry their hearts out to therapists or pastors or counselors, friends, family, neighbors, spouses. They'll even pour their hearts out on social media, but they won't do it to God. What they're going through is much more complicated than Philippians 4, 6 can handle. So they look for peace everywhere else, even in Facebook comments. But they won't go and get it from the place God says to go and get it, which is prayer. Anxiety is a kind of practical atheism where God doesn't exist when we're anxious. They'd rather complain than cry out to God. They'd rather pout than pray and then broadcast their pouting on social media so they could get pity from people in the hopes that maybe that will make them feel better. But that's like cotton candy for the soul. No substance doesn't work. Why do so many of us do that? I'll tell you why. Because we don't really think God cares for us. Or... He cares for us enough to forgive our sins, but not enough to free us from whatever's making us anxious or afraid. And we do it because we don't trust what he says in Philippians 4, 6. There's just got to be more. There's got to be more to this. So I've got to go look for that. Because the truth about how God will give peace in the midst of anxiety, it can't just be as easy 
is take Philippians 4, 6 and call me in the morning. So you'd ask for, well, let's think about this. Who would ask for someone that they, they know is mad at them? Their, their attitude towards us, whether real or imagined, would keep us from making requests to them. When you doubt that God truly, really, deeply cares about you, that he loves you like he loves Jesus, you will not pray or you will barely pray to him. There won't be much worship, much, much passion or much gratitude at all. Prayers will then be juvenile with the expectation of a quick fix or I'm going to look for something that actually works. However, when we believe that God cares for us, truly, really cares for us, when we bring that reality into our anxiety so that we pray to him, look at what happens in verse 7. Here's what happens when we do verse 6, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result of praying about everything with praise and passion and gratitude and refusing to give up and making those requests and staying persistent, the result of prayer like that is peace. The peace that comes from God will attack the anxiety inside of you. I know it sounds strange that prayer brings peace to all anxieties, but verse seven even admits that when it says this peace, quote, transcends all understanding. Prayer in response to to anxiety makes no sense. It's beyond our wildest imaginations, but it's true. It works. Persistent anxiety cannot coexist with a consistent prayer life. Notice, prayer without what makes us anxious, prayer about what makes us anxious produces peace that will, quote, notice, it will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. It, it has the power to do that. Peace will guard your entire being, your mind, your emotions, your will, your thoughts, your very soul. All of you, everything will be protected. Here's something you can draw, kids. God's peace is like battle-prepared soldiers, poised and ready to protect you, to guard you, to defend you from anxiety. God's peace is never asleep at its post. It's always on duty, always on patrol. There's no need to, don't talk to yourself, talk to Facebook or Instagram about what's troubling you. Talk to God. Talk to him. None of that will ever help you. Talk to him about everything in every circumstance that threatens you, that tempts you to worry. Talk to him. Ask him for help. Be be specific. Hold nothing back. Unburden yourself of every worry, every doubt, every care. Put it all into his hands. Why? Because he cares for you if you are, verse 7, if you are in Christ Jesus. Kids, here's something else you can draw. The Christian no longer lives in the city of darkness. They have been transferred from the city of darkness into the very center of a city that is called Jesus Christ. And the city is surrounded by thick, high, impenetrable walls with the words, God's peace, engraved all around those walls. There's no need to scan the horizon for new threats because his peace surrounds you. His peace protects you. It's always there, always strong, constantly defending you, constantly protecting you, constantly guarding you. 
And the key that unlocks the gate into the walls of peace surrounding the city of Christ where your heart and your mind are secure. The key forged by God is forged into the shape of prayer. Many Christians need to go home. You've been outside unprotected in anxiety far too long. For hearts worn down with pain, peace comes to those who pray. So pray. Pray all night if you have to. Place everything you worry about, whether rational or irrational, place place it all into God's hands and trust him to do good with it, whatever it might be. Now, when times are troubling, when circumstances are out of control, the first danger is anxiety. However, there's a second danger that tends to stalk anxious Christians as well. Many Christians drift away from their commitment to Christ when times are hard. We think hard, time gives us, hard times give us an excuse to sin, to, to back off, to slow down, to weaken our commitments to Jesus, to stop loving people, to stop reading his word, to stop praying. Like being anxious or in pain gives us a, a secret handshake that gets us past the guards and into an exclusive club called disobedience, where it's okay to hang out for a while because we feel bad. Paul knows this, is, this was a danger for the Philippians, and God knows it's a danger for us. So verses 8 and 9 tell us, unimaginable peace Peace we cannot explain during times of trouble like we're going through in our world today. That peace will come when we point number two, abandon all drifting. Abandon all drifting. Paul encourages Christians in trials and in sin. That's what's happening in this church. They're being attacked by anti-Christian persecution. They're being infiltrated by false teachers and their sin rampant in the body. So it's being ripped apart, uh, threatening a church split. To all those who are anxious, who are drifting, drifting from their commitment to Christ, he encourages them with verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Way before we actually abandon our commitment to Christ, we begin to drift away from him, and that drifting starts where? Starts in our minds. So to protect from drifting, we're commanded to think Focus your mind on, give full attention to something so much so that it alters your actions. This is what we think, this is what we do with things that will make us successful at our jobs or will help us do well in school. We pour over our textbooks, we focus on them, we think about them, or balance sheets, or law reviews, or medical journals. We pour over them because we know if we get that information in our heads, if we think about such things, It'll change the way that we do our jobs. It'll change how we do in school and it'll make us successful. That's what Paul's getting at here. The kind of careful, thoughtful consideration that results in action. Action that is conduct worthy of the gospel. Action that, uh, contemplation that, that shapes how we live our lives. So for some of you, if you cared about the things of God, even a fraction compared to how much you care about your job or sports or entertainment or your body, 
You'd be anxious about nothing and you would never dream of drifting. Well, let's take a look and let's see what will happen if we do that. So what does God want us thinking about? What will help us battle the tendency to drift from God when times are, are troubled, when anxiety is raging, when fear is crippling? What, where does our mind need to go? Look at verse 8. We, we will abandon all drifting when we soak our minds with ideas, images, and sounds that are, look at the text, that are true, which means accurate. The less time you spend filling your mind with things that are false or heretical or unreliable, the better. This is Psalm 1-1. Blessed, blessed, happy, joyful is the man who does not walk in the counsel, in the advice, in the ideas of the wicked. Who, who does not stand in the way of sinners. Who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Those who, those who mock Christianity. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He fills his mind with what is true. Jesus said God's word, the Bible, is truth. So our focus should be there. Second, we must pay attention to things that are honorable. Which, which means noble, worthy of respect. In other words, not dishonorable or shameful. Things you think, focus on things you, you wouldn't mind being on a billboard showing you exposed yourself to them because they're honorable. Third, we must fill our thoughts with ideas that are just, things that are right, things that match God's standards for what we should think and how we should live. In other words, we should not fill our, things, our minds with things that are wrong or wicked in defiance of all that God is and all that God wants us to do. Fourth, we will abandon all drifting when we fill our minds with ideas that are pure. The word means innocent, clean from fault. These are not ideas that will leave an embarrassing stain on your mind or on your conscience after exposing yourself to them. Fifth, we must flood our thoughts with things that are, quote, lovely, which means charming. Things that inspire admiration, they don't repulse us because of how sleazy they are. They're the kinds of ideas and the, the kinds of truth that, that draw us closer to them. Six, we, we abandon all drifting when our hearts are overflowing with things that are, are next commendable. These are the kinds of things that you would happily tell other people to do. And you, you'd, you'd, you'd recommend it with a clear conscience before the Lord because you know this is right, this is good, this is true. Seventh, we, we must be overwhelmed with ideas, notice, that are excellent. This speaks of the, the highest character. It, it's, and the word is translated in other places, a goodness, valor, bravery, virtue. This is the stuff that our culture just mocks and, and doesn't say anybody should live for, but they're the things that all of us know that we should. Eighth, and finally, we abandon all drifting when we are contemplating, quote, anything worthy of praise. These are the kinds of things that, that when you do them, the, the godliest people that you know, they, they grow in their admiration. They go, that was really good. That was great that you did that. The idea is, the, the idea here is the less truth filling your life, the more likely you will be to drift. Now those, were all, those eight were all general categories. But I trust that as I was speaking, God was bringing specifics to your mind. Maybe something you listen to on the radio or watch on TV or, or, or listen to or watch far too much. Maybe it's something on your computer. 
Maybe it's a person, a friend, or a family member you, you talk to all the time. Maybe it's a kind of novel or, or images that you expose yourself to, whatever those things are. Stop filling your mind with things that don't match Philippians 4.8. Stop thinking about those things. Rid yourself of them. Replace them with things that are excellent and virtuous, that deserve admiration and respect and praise because they're true, they're noble, they're right, they're pure, they're lovely. If you don't, what consumes your thoughts controls your life. And if what consumes your thoughts is the opposite of one or some or all of verse eight, you will drift away from Christ in your actions, which is where Paul goes next in verse nine. Again, he points to their minds and says, verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He's saying, remember, in your mind, remember what I taught you. Consider what you heard. Think about what you saw in my life and then imitate that. This gets us to the bottom line of verses eight and nine. By what standard do we judge the things in in verse eight? And and then, then this, he says, do what I taught you and do what I did. Where, where, where do we have the standard to judge what's true and right and good? And where do we have what Paul taught? And where do, we, where do we see what Paul did? Well, the Philippians had personal interaction with Paul. We have the Bible. The idea in verses 8 and 9 is that our minds are so filled with the Bible that, that the scriptures are actually directing what we do, what we say, how we act, how we think about all the situations that we face. And when you abandon all forms of drifting in your thoughts and follow Paul's example in your actions, what is the promise that God makes to you in verse 9? Look at it. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The God whose very nature is peaceful will share his peace with you. When we abandon all drifting, when we let trials and anxieties drive us to God instead of from him, When we stop making excuses for disobedience, the God of peace, notice, will be with us. Intimacy is restored and calm floods your soul. Abandon all drifting. Repent of whatever is ruining that closeness with God. Do that and you will marvel. You will be stunned at the peace that you will have. When governments are challenged at their core, when stores have lines that are wrapped all the way around them, when shelves in those stores are out of essentials, when the predictions seem more dire with every passing day and anxieties attempt to reign over our souls, where can we find peace? Unimaginable peace comes from what you pray about, namely, everything that makes you anxious. And it comes from how you pray, with worship, with passion and with gratitude. And peace also comes from both pondering the truth and then practicing it. Praying, pondering, and practicing truth can give you real, lasting, unimaginable peace. This was Paul's counsel for Christians suffering from false teaching and anti-Christian persecution. And so that, I thought, would be a very timely word for Christians as we face this COVID-19 crisis. We're living during a time of unprecedented change and fear. 
We've been through wars and rationing and shortages and pandemics, but never, probably in, in everybody's life who's watching this, never has church been canceled. Our churches might not be full on this Easter, but listen, neither is the grave. Jesus has risen. Jesus is alive. The resurrection actually happened. It's not fantasy, it's history. Now look at the end of verse seven again. The peace I've been talking about today, unimaginable, supernatural peace, is only for people who are, quote, in Christ Jesus. That's Christians, people from all walks of life who have turned from their rebellion and have given their lives to Jesus. Listen, there is no peace from God until there is peace with God. Jesus, not you, not your good works, not your good intentions, not your positive thoughts about yourself. Jesus only accomplishes peace with God when he died on the cross for sinners. Sinners just like you and just like me. We, we must refuse to depend on our own goodness. We must refuse to, to put any hope in any person or any organization. Especially, we must put no hope in ourselves. Instead, our one and only hope in life, our one and only hope in death, must be Jesus and Jesus alone. We must submit to him as Lord. We must trust him as our savior from the punishment we know we deserve for all of our sins against God. And what possible reason is there for thinking that everything I just said is true, that your sins really could be forgiven, that you, that, that you could have eternal life? Why would you possibly think that's true? Because he rose from the dead. Because he is alive. That's the proof he gave that all of this is true. That's the proof that you can be accepted by God forever. That is the proof he gave that you can have peace with the God that you've rebelled against your entire life. That's the proof that you can be at peace when the world is tremoring from uncertainty, anxiety, and fear. He rose from the dead. When you're in Christ, you're at rest and secure in him. He will be your refuge in times of trouble. He will be your strength and anxiety. But only when you give up your rebellion, give up everything that keeps you from Christ, come to him, surrender, give him your life, trust him to save you from your sins. The tragedy of Kobe Bryant's death screams to every one of us that even if you're on top of the world, you don't know how much time you have. Tomorrow is promised to no one. So come to Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait until Christmas. Do not wait until next Easter. Come to him today. Give him your life. Trust him with your life. And you will have eternal peace with God. And then you can experience unimaginable peace now and for the rest of your life as you trust in him. Listen, if that's you, please contact me. I want to help. Please email me, info at redeemeraz.org. I want to get you some resources. I want to help you. As you've, you've said, I, I want to give my life to Christ. And I'm going to give him my life right now. Well, let us help you. Info at redeemeraz.org. Well, what would you do if you found out 
four of your kids had died. I have three kids. I'd be devastated. Horatio Spafford wrote a song and he called it, It Is Well With My Soul. He is near the top of the most compelling examples I know of, of unimaginable peace during troubled, painful times. But if you listen to that song, if you know that song, if you don't, and when we're done, Google it, pull up the words, it is well with my soul. And you will see, even though sorrow won't stop crashing over his heart like waves pounding on the shore, even though that, that continues to happen, the billows of, of sadness continue. He says his soul is still well because his sin, not in part of it, not part of his sin, but all of his sin, every single one of his sins was nailed to the cross and he carried them no more. That's because Jesus took his sin when he died and rose again. That re- that, that's real, eternal never-ending, everlasting, unimaginable peace can be yours too. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Christian, you can experience that peace afresh as you pray and as you ponder and practice the truth of God's word. Let's pray. Father, Easter is a time when we remember that the grave is empty, that Jesus is alive right now, that we can talk like like I did today, that I can talk about the present realities of the work that he will do in our lives because he rose from the dead. The present reality of, of your work in our lives is something we need right now during these very troubled times of crisis in our world. So please take these truths And make them real to us. Help help us, each of us, to live in light of these truths. And that as we do, we will not only understand intellectually that Jesus rose from the dead. But his resurrection life will be seen in our lives of peace. Do this please for each of us, I pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.